0: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Before we kick off today's episode, I wanna say a gigantic thanks from me, Matt, Crossfade, and the whole MinMax crew, cohorts included, to anyone who helped out our charity drive for Hopewell Music School in North Minneapolis. We blew through our fundraising goal so fast we doubled it, and then we blew through that. So we upped it again, and then we blew through that. It was absolutely crazy. Seeing familiar names from the MinMax Discord and Patreon posts, and even former Crossfade guests among the donors, was so heartwarming and just uh, reaffirming that the MinMax community really is one of the most positive, thoughtful places on the internet. Um, the fundraiser is still live and collecting donations, so you can head to givemn.org/crossfade. Again, that's givemn like Minnesota.org/crossfade to find out more and to chip in a few bucks if you can. If you can't, we totally get it. We totally understand. Uh, just sharing a link wherever you can is extremely helpful for getting the word out. Again, that's givemn.org Crossfade. All right, enough warm up and here's the show.
1: Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, and joined as always by Jason Daphnis, super producer. How's it going, Jason?
0: In the name of Hades, Olympus, I accept this wonderful guest we've got on the show today, Matt.
1: I, I do as well. We've been very excited uh, to work this one out. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you know him from uh, Supergiant Games, uh, Bastion, Transistor, uh, more recently Hades. And uh, we're w- very pleased to welcome their chief composer, Darren Corb, to the show. Hey, Darren. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to talk to you about this and uh, wanted to talk a little bit just about your, your background, um... Looking at your background, it's kind of interesting to me. You sort of seem to balance kind of two sides, like a more, I guess, formal training. You went to NYU for music production, but also you've been in in, in rock bands. I know you were in uh, control group fairly recently. I don't know if control group still going. Yeah, we're still tinkering away. I mean, do any <laughs> bands exist right now? Because I have a band that's just I, like a Facebook messenger know. group. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the best we got these days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we haven't actually played for like over a year. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm just curious how that those dual sides of your sort of musical background, how that informs what you do um, at Supergiant and in your game scores. Absolutely. And uh, really it's,
2: it is my background in songwriting, playing in bands and music production is sort of those are the main things that I rely on as a composer, I'd say. Um, I don't have a traditional composing background necessarily. Uh, so I, I really rely on, on this, those skill sets to do the heavy lifting uh, for me uh, in the compositions that I do and, and the way I approach the composing work.
1: Do you um do you write music or do you
2: just kind of do it as tracks? I record, you know, I I don't write it write anything out. I record it all straight into the DAW, uh, me playing stuff and and, uh, and pretty much I don't I don't even usually have other musicians play on the tracks. It's just kind of me in, in my cave you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. putting down all the tracks. So, um, and it's, yeah, it's just kind of me tinkering away, uh, by myself for the most part. And then I'll have collaborators every once in a while. Um, Ashley Barrett, a vocalist I work with a lot throughout, throughout all the games. Uh, and then most recently on Hades, there are a few tracks where, you know, we have a chamber orchestra on a couple of tracks, which was awesome. And Austin Wintry, uh, conducted that and helped me with the arrangements and stuff. And, uh, and I have a couple of incredible guitar players uh, guest on one of the tracks, but but for the most part, it's just me kind of sitting in my in my little booth by myself,
1: <laughs> just getting it done in the lab. Yeah, getting it done so in get the lab, so getting up in the lab. Yep. Um, I read that you were a, a rock band two national champion. Is this, this true? Is true? It is true. <laughs> and, and you? Do you? Did you work for Harmonix? Because I read in your background that you authored games, or was that just as a? So, so
2: there there was a period where Harmonix had this thing called the rock band network where i know well yeah. anybody could just author yeah anybody could just author songs for rock band and then submit through a submission process like sell them in the special marketplace in rock band and i was working with a buddy of mine like we had a little company where bands would hire us to put their music in in rock band you know (laughs) for for a second but like this is kind of while i was working on bastion for like a side gig for money you know Mm -hmm. um and, uh, and so, yeah, I ended up authoring, you know, pretty decent chunk of tunes for the rock band network during that time. Um,
1: and yeah, it, it was, uh, it was a fun time. Did did you take anything away from kind of rock band and, and that whole phenomenon in, in your music? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I
2: still love and play rock band on a, on a regular basis. Uh, I feel like it, it really, it helped me a lot as a, as an instrumentalist. I think it helped my timing. And the like sort of the precision of my playing a lot, it helped me as a drummer because it really, it's one of those things where if you're playing expert drums, you're really having to execute actual things that the musicians played, you know, you're not, it's, it's pretty much a one-to-one translation. And so I feel like it's improved my drumming and, and my understanding of how different drummers approach different styles of music and stuff. And, and I think in particular, it made me a better bassist because when you're listening to a recording in full context the bass is often just sort of the actual specifics of what the bass is doing are often uh, not the thing that comes to the forefront of your attention you know mm-hmm. you notice if it plays a wrong note you note if it if it does something super awesome but then otherwise you know <laughs> so so I feel like it really made me a little bit more aware of sort of the things bass players do in rock songs, uh, by, by playing the the rock band bass, you know, uh, which is like a fun little yeah. side effect of <laughs> playing a bunch of rock band.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really did kind of illustrate how songs were put together in a certain way. I think yeah. for for a lot of people that have never you know been in studios or, or seen multi tracks and things like that. Um, I want to get to your pick soon. I have one final question, and this is more just about your music stylistically, your soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is maybe true to a degree for all of them and maybe more true for some of them, but I, I feel like a theme or a, a, one of your kind of textures that you seem to like is sort of the mixing of kind of acoustic slash maybe folk music elements or folk influenced kind of elements with like electronics and, and, and synths and stuff like that. And, um, I guess, I mean, and maybe you don't feel that way, I don't know, but that, that at least definitely for Bastion and some of the others, I think yeah. that's kind of true. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I tend to like to pull
2: some acoustic elements, some components. And, and oftentimes it's convenient to pull those from a particular culture or a particular setting, a particular place. Um, especially, you know, for, for example, for Hades, you know, the, the game is set in a sort of ancient Greek place. So I have a sort of a Mediterranean swath of acoustic instruments to help with placing the music there and, uh, having at least a component of the music be that kind of instrument, be an instrument that is of the place and, uh, using sort of sounds that are of, of a particular place. It can, it can really help root the music. So I can kind of do, do other stuff and juxtapose it against that. And that's all well and good. But as long as I have this thing to sort of tether me to, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit more free to go nuts, uh, in other ways.
0: How do you know, Darren, to sort of measure that out? Like, do you, does, does the song come to you fully formed with those organic and more synthetic pieces? Or is it like, this is basically a thrash track and I need to add some balalaika. <laughs> what happens there?
2: It's, it's all the different directions. Uh, some tracks I'll start, I'll start with the sort of folk, piece, the folk arrangement of the piece, you know, I'll start with a riff or, or something or a particular, you know, I, well, you know, I want this song to be in a weird time signature and I want to write like a kind of a weird, like a weird Scandinavian style time, folk time signature or something for this, this piece. And, uh, and then I'll extrapolate that into the sort of rock version of it. And sometimes I'll work backwards. I'll start with, okay, I, I'm going to start with the rockin' part. That's going to play when you have a boss fight with the minotaur or whatever, And the the goal of the piece is that it's got to feel cool in that context. And then I'll sort of extrapolate it back into the sort of deconstructed folk version of that, of that same piece.
1: All right. Well, we got, let's get into your, your pick. Um, Yeah. This is the the whole show, the whole podcast. I've been kind of like on the fence, like, should I bring it up or is somebody going to do it? Because, (laughs) and I think it's almost that thing, kind of like the old cliche that like, oh, no one asked the most beautiful girl in high school out to the prom because they were too intimidated. (laughs) Kind of, I think it was sort of that thing. Like everyone's like, "Well, somebody else is going to pick the Beatles, yeah, yeah." So I shouldn't pick the Beatles, and as a result, this is the first time that the Beatles have been on the show. Um, <laughs> and you know, obviously, you know, you can't. It, the history of music in the 20th century, like, they loom extremely large and yeah. large to this day. Obviously, yep. there's still right now. There's a, a Hulu documentary that's doing super it's well.
2: Incredible! It's so with, good.
1: Yeah, with Rick Rubin and, and Paul McCartney. Um, so their 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 footprint is really still extremely. Big today. Um, and, yeah. and obviously the, the most uh praised and enduring rock band in, in history. Um, so I just wanted to talk to you. Obviously, everyone, you know, I think if you're just alive, you kind of have a certain amount of Beatles, you know, recognition. But, um, what in particular about the Beatles and, and this album by the Beatles in particular that that sort of resonated with you?
2: Yeah. I, for me, this album is really it has a lot of weight to it because it's the last... I mean, it's cool for a lot of reasons, I think. Uh I feel like it has a lot of weight if if you know the context of how the album was made. I feel like the actual compositions on the album are really spectacular. I feel like the production on the album is sort of like the pinnacle of... Like, the Beatles did a lot of experimentation in the second half of their career as the Beatles, and this, I feel like, is... Like, the production of this album is the fruit born by those experiments, you know, it's like, they've sort of taken the, the, the bits that worked the best and, and put them in, in this context. And, and, uh, it really is kind of from start to finish, like a really interesting rangy like it's got a lot of different vibes on it. Cool, weird album. Uh, and it's, it's super good. I mean, it's just the, the songwriting super good. George Harrison, you know, coming in hot on this one with two bangers, you know, like, yep two, like the best songs anybody ever wrote, you know, it's really, yeah. And, and it's a very like, you know, my favorite Beatle growing up was always John, but, but I feel like this is a very Paul forward album, but I'm like pretty, I'm cool with that in the context of what ended up happening with it. I think it's a really interesting, uh, really interesting record and, and just track by track. It's weird. I mean, it's, it's adventurous production wise. It has like a medley. Like a you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, giant seventeen minute medley on side two, and just every piece of it is so amazing. I mean, it's one of those those albums where every once in a while, somehow the internet will be like, "Here's the full all the, just the soloed vocals from the Abbey Road medley," you know, on YouTube somehow, mm-hmm. and you just listen to it, and it's just so incredible. It's so beautiful. And so just like every, the execution of everything, all the musical ideas, it's so interesting and so well executed. And, uh, and yeah, you listen to like any soloed portion of it, the, you know, just the bass is like, Oh man, it's amazing. (laughs) You know, uh, maybe it's just because I'm a super fan or something, but, but I really, I really love all that stuff and, uh, and find this album so fascinating. And, uh, on a sort of personal note, you know, I got to, I got the opportunity to record in studio two at Abbey road just before wow. the pandemic hit, which is one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life for sure. Um, and as a giant Beatles fan, you know, being sort of in the place where all of that magic happened was, was pretty surreal and, uh, and incredible. So uh, that, that may give, give me a little bit of a special, extra, extra special, uh, love for this, this album at this point in time, potentially.
1: Yeah. Well, let's hear a bit. Um, I want to play the first song. Um, yeah. Which is one of my, always really been one of my favorite uh, Beatles songs for a number of reasons. Um, Kind of, you know, it's some classic John kind of like stoner, cool sounding gibberish. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It's, It's such a jam. And the riff, both on the bass and the drums, that riff is like such a rad thing and weird. It's weird. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I tend to love stuff that's a little bit off of what you might expect or what is predictable. And I, I really, even though the Beatles were making sort of popular rock music, a lot of that stuff is, is got a little weirdness and a little quirk to it. And I really appreciate
1: that. Yeah. This part in particular, I just, I, I love, i I'm going to talk about Ringo a lot because I really yeah. love Ringo and I oh, think yeah. he doesn't get near enough credit in this Absolutely. band, but like, that's a weird drum part
3: and it's, super it's not weird. so
1: much that like people tend to think about great drummers in the sort of you know like you know john bonham neil pert yeah. those type of drummers but like yeah. the thing i love about ringo is a he approaches drum parts in a kind of very just odd and like personal way yeah and he knows how to make his drum sound good in a track and he knows yeah. how to make his drum sound good in a studio and yeah. it's like his drum sounds are so good agreed um And like just this part right here, like not many people would think of approaching it that way, you know?
2: No, it's, it's a really off the wall part. And, and yeah, one of the things I love about Ringo too, is just his approach. is so musical and so serving of the song. And, it's it's hit it's a thing that he would come up with and not a thing you know a lot of times the parts are really idiosyncratic and really interesting but they always are like a riff they're like part of the part of the riff part of the song
1: yeah and and i I think one thing i always think about with him it's not on this album but like when the drums come in on a day in the life that kind of boom 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 yeah do do you know, it's like, yep. it's so, it's as memorable as a guitar part, you know? Oh, yeah.
2: He's got awesome, he's got awesome feel and yeah, and his drums sound incredible always and he writes awesome parts. I mean, he's,
1: he, people talk smack about Ringo, but I, I love Ringo. He's incredible. <laughs> well, I think it was partially that, I think John was being a dick in some yeah. interview where he's like, oh, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the yeah. Beatles or something, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. like just typical John kind of talking shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I
2: mean, Paul. Paul is is a good drummer too, but you know, I think that's probably who he was talking about. But but uh, but I mean, you know, he's the one who came up with all the rad, weird little stuff. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I read. Have you read? Um, what's it? All All These Lifetimes, Volume One. Oh, it's I a really good so. Beatles book. It's very oh, I should well check researched, that out. but. Um, but it's interesting because it, he he kind of really tries to fact check a lot of these kind of you know myths and stuff. Yeah. And like they pursued Ringo much more than Ringo pursued yeah. them. Yeah. You know they were like we need this guy and he was already in a much more successful band uh, yeah. like Rory Storm and the Hurricanes or whatever. So yeah. this idea that he was kind of this like goofy add on is like really that's not historical. No, you know, like, they could, were like he could play and he, like
2: especially and you know he's not if you watch some of the early stuff where they're you know. They're playing, like, uh, what's that tune? Um, God, it's one of their early tracks that he sings, in fact. And it's just, like, um, What Goes On, I think is what's called. Yeah, What Goes On. And it's just, like, it's just, like, a super fast shuffle for the whole thing. You know what I mean? And he's just rocking it solid. It's, like, not super easy to do a rock-solid lightning-fast shuffle for, like, two and a half minutes or whatever. And he's, you know, he's killing it. They're doing all their... Their whole first album they recorded in like one day, you know, like they just, yeah, he's, he's anyway, he's, he's a total pro that Ringo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's going
1: places. Yeah. It's yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ringo um, star. He's <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's move on to the second track. Yeah. Um, this is sort of, I mean, this is one of the ones that, you know, you, we'll go ahead and talk about it. You mentioned, I think, oh, you know, yeah. George I mean, at the beginning
2: here. I feel like so- something is one of the most beautiful songs that I've ever heard. It's so gorgeous and the 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 writing of the lyrics the the chord changes are delightful the melody's beautiful the execution of everything the way it all comes together it's just it's just awesome Something in the way she moves I almost feel like. There's like a whole genre of like 70s ballad that was like invented by this song. Like I feel like there's like a whole type of music that came after, like yacht yeah. rock or some something almost had a, had like roots in this song.
1: Yeah, I was. I actually wrote down a similar thought. Is that yeah, I I, I hadn't listened to this this closely in many yeah. times for yeah. a long time, and yeah, this is a like this kind of in a weird way feels like the first like 70s. Yeah. It doesn't like the Beatles are such a '60s band. Obviously, yes. they couldn't be more like tied to the 1960s. Yeah, stuff. like you know, them and Dylan basically are like you know yeah. the 1960s. But yeah. this one has a, a '70s feel. Like they're using a yeah. little synthesizer here and there. Yeah, yeah. The production were, is I, is much more. The production is much more kind of hi-fi in that '70s yeah. kind of way. And I think I think they were. This was one of the first album like popular
2: records to feature a synthesizer, like a Moog synthesizer. They had, you know, on. I th- I don't think it's on this track, but on Silverhammer and and there's like several
1: other tracks that have like a hint
2: of synthesizer. Yeah, it's yes, awesome.
1: I noticed that. Yeah, and th- here's a great drum part too. Oh yeah, the awesome triplet thing he's doing here. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about this. And this song is kind of to me like just you know, almost, certain songs just feel like they've been around forever. Like yeah. probably on the first day they're released, and it yeah. just it seems like a standard. I, I did read that um you know like uh Sinatra said this was like by far the best Beatles song. Yeah. Which I that kind of, you know, I can yeah. understand why he would think that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like a real tune, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's something that he could croon and
2: and it would it would make sense yeah. if he wanted to. Or yeah. somebody, you know, you could <laughs> yeah.
1: a solo pianist and a vocal yeah. could do this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cuz it's such a beautiful, yeah,
2: it's such a beautiful lyric and beautiful melody and everything. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I mean it's a, it's a jam. It's a jam. Something in the way she knows.
0: Does anybody else feel like it's going to be sacrilege if we like skip parts of these songs? Yeah, no. Let's, I've been yeah, let's, since I know we should I um, guess I do, we should.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, the, so <laughs> I actually mean I actually come to this podcast to praise McCartney. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do want to listen to the next one, which is kind yeah. of what I don't love. About sure. Paul McCartney. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> this song yeah. is called, this song has always somewhat irritated me on this album. Yeah. Um, Maxwell Silver Hammer. You can start yeah. it, Jason. <laughs> It's,
2: it's an interesting tune because, you know, the other Beatles are like on record as saying they hate the song
1: and they hated recording it, you know,
2: like all three of them hated it.
1: (laughs) I actually read that I I was just doing some research and Lennon had just been in a car accident where he was like minorly hurt. Oh no. And so he hadn't been recording for a few weeks. He came back in, they were doing this and he said, "Ugh, this is more of fucking Paul's granny music and walked right out of the studio. I heard about that. Yeah. Like never. So John isn't on this at all. He refused. Yeah. And
2: and yeah, he just wasn't into it. And 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 I think Ringo's on record saying like, oh, we had to do it over and over, and we had to keep. He made us, Paul made us do it forever. And we were we spent more money on this song than the whole rest of the album. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just complaining. But like I I have I don't my like I kind of like this song. Like I do like this song. I don't dislike it. And the reason I feel like it's it's super weird and. It's a really evocative lyric, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. you know,
2: it's like, uh, it's like kind of messed up. You know, he's singing about a serial killer, essentially, <laughs> and and there
1: weren't a lot of pop songs about serial killers at this time. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, McCartney's such a good writer of melodies that yeah. he can get by with a lot. I just this yeah. particular mode of McCartney, like the kind of like old oh, D. like when I'm sixty-four, like yeah, the kind of like. Yeah. I don't, it's like old timey.
2: I mean, he's, he's like, tra- I, I think he, his background is in a lot, like he would play piano for his family and play a lot yes. of like old timey music like this. Yeah. You know? And, and I, I guess
1: th- yeah. my other issue with his, is like, you know, you mentioned George Harrison, like after the Beatles, he comes out with a triple album. Yeah. All Things Must Pass. It's yep. absolutely brilliant. And yep. I know those songs, like, I just imagine George sitting here like, oh yeah, we can't get like, you know, Beware of Darkness on this album. Right. Cause we got to like put Maxwell silver hammer. Yeah. Know?
2: George only gets two per album or yeah. whatever. And yeah. I
1: mean, he clearly had like amazing songs on deck. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, it doesn't, it's just not my favorite McCartney mode. Let's
2: say. Yeah. I mean, I think like I prefer this song to Octopus's garden,
1: <laughs> which <laughs> oh, I think the is, opposite.
2: Yeah. Octopus's garden is like, is it's, you know, it's a Ringo jam. I mean, it's, I think it's one of the only ones Ringo actually wrote. Um, which is cool. You know, they gave him a, they, he got to, to write something on the last, the last album, <laughs> yeah. the last hurrah.
1: Let's uh, let's listen to that. It's it, it, yeah. let's listen to the other kids tune. This is like a yeah. elementary music yeah. class. Yeah, yeah. Like this and yellow submarine or like staples. Yeah, exactly. From... Yeah.
2: And you know, it's, it's cute and all and musically it's fine. It's all right. It's, it's cool. For me, it's the, if I ever skip a track on this album ever, it will be Octopus's Garden. Just, not because I don't like it. I just, I like it. It's just. Sometimes I'm not, not in the mood <laughs> to go under the sea. <laughs> and the the guitar work is really cool. You See, know that's why
1: I do like it because of the guitar work I think better. Yeah, and just like the beat being more of like a kind of a yeah semi country thing as opposed to the kind of oompa pa kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel you. My daughter today voted this I over mean, Maxwell's, so I'll oh, take yeah. the ten year old. Yeah, oh boy, yeah, t-
2: yeah l- <laughs> children. I don't know a lot of children that love songs about serial killers.
1: Usually, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I'm working on it.
2: <laughs> it's creep. That song yeah. creeped me out as a kid. Yeah, it really. I made her and- listen
1: to like "Give Me Shelter" by the Stones like ten nice. times. Yeah, there just you to- go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's cute, but yeah, no, it's right. cute. Yeah, let's. Uh, what? W- where do you want to go next? Because I feel like we well, should get more into the meat of the uh the yeah, album. Obviously, I
2: mean, I, mean I, I I will say just a quick thing about i want you which which i think is just a you know i feel like a side i feel like it's the john doesn't have a lot of i feel like he's kind of takes a backseat on this album mm-hmm. but i feel like this song is pretty rad as yeah. a side ender in particular like the way they just like grind on that riff forever and then there's like the crazy like yeah, that happens I, and then the then the side ends you know yeah if you're listening to it on vinyl it's just yeah it's real
1: cool Let's um, start it and then we can skip to the end because the yeah. ending is kind of really eerie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and this is so it's such a jarring kind of like it, it's a really like menacing Beatles song. Yeah. Which super they didn't menacing, do very yeah. often.
2: I appreciate that, and then it goes into this like kind of loungy, you know, this part has like a loungy vibe, kind of, which is really interesting. Yeah. When they yeah. when they get into the beat, you know.
1: Yeah, this another thing that strikes me about this song is like, I always feel like the Beatles, you know, were kind of always out in front of like what was the next thing that was going to yeah. happen, and this is the first time where I feel like, is he like listening to bands like you know some of the heavier stuff that's coming out like yeah. Cream, I think or like Zeppelin, yeah. or even like the Doors, yeah, because um, it does feel like they're trying to on this loop to say like, hey, we can be kind of heavy too, right? Like yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely, yeah, and. And I feel like they did some of that on the White Album, too. There's some some heavy stuff on there, too, like Helter Skelter
1: and, like, some of that stuff is really intense. Yeah. But, like, the kind of big riff, especially at the end, yeah. does feel like he's listening to maybe some of the newer bands that have yeah. come up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously Hendrix, all these guys were, like, oh, blown yeah. away by Hendrix.
2: Yeah. I love the, the story about how, you know, Sergeant Peppers came out like on a Friday and then on a Saturday they all went to see Hendrix and he opened with Sergeant Peppers you know (laughs) like he He learned it yeah he learned it and then opened with it or whatever yeah (laughs) that's amazing god he was yeah wow oh it's so good yeah this is great and yeah I mean if you want to skip ahead to the ending we can check that out and and I just feel like it's such a such a weird a weird (laughs) ending to a song a weird way to use to end a side Yeah and listen the bass work is awesome too those fills from Paul super cool yeah. Just and this goes on for minutes like must be like 2 minutes or
1: something this Yeah this it's happens, such a cool you know? riff Yeah
3: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. yeah it's almost like kind of proggy or something Yeah like King Crimson Yeah totally
2: Yeah, and it just—it's just like gets more and more uncomfortable. It's like the the frog in the the pot of water, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. just tuned in and it were this at the end, you'd be like, "What the hell?" But <laughs> yeah. but at, because yeah. it's gradual, you're like, "Why am I getting a little bit more uncomfortable <laughs> like
1: over time?" Yeah, you know, what's happening here?
0: We're we're about ten seconds from uh, here comes the sun. I'll just let it run. Oh yeah, because yeah. oh, the
1: yeah. ending is is also like. I think, remember, the first time I heard it, I thought it was, like, a pressing error or something, yeah. or, like, you know, a screw-up with the CD or yeah. something.
2: and then there it is. Again, George, bringing it. Bringing yeah, the thunder. This is,
1: yeah, I mean, what can you... This is just... This oh, one's sh- such a pretty recording, though, with the strings and the acoustics. Beautiful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think there's some, like, se- sneaky synth on this one, too, in the background. Yeah. I think it's during the verse
1: maybe verse two yeah yeah i will say just in in kind of these details like it's probably about 10 years ago by now they did like a whole you know because the beatles cds were obviously one of the first cds ever made right yeah. when they invented cd and they'd had these kind of old like early 80s masters of them forever yeah and I, one of the things that really kind of brought me back to the Beatles when they did the reissues about 10 years ago and they were yeah. remastered uh, and it was just like another album to me. like I would just number one the drums and bass were so much heavier yeah and I I, I grew a whole new appreciation of McCartney like not yeah. as a songwriter yeah as but a bass player as yeah. a bass player um just cause you, I felt like those parts were so muffled before and they just were so like yeah. alive um and then just like you said, these little details in the mixes, like little synth things here, little overdubs, like it just felt like I was, I was just hearing like so much more from these records that I thought, like I knew. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, the, the detail on this album, they really, I feel like they really kind of took a lot of the lessons they learned and, and techniques they've, they invented and established on previous albums and really kind of applied them with, with great, uh, to great effect on, on this record. Yeah, awesome Yeah, the synthesizer there Oh yeah, totally Yeah, prominent, yeah, prominent It's, and it's then, so
0: naturally worked in yeah. yeah
2: And then they have, I think this next verse They have synth, like, kind of throughout the whole thing Like that little high Right there
1: Well, that flute is yeah, like It's an like analog. a little
2: flute, approximate, oh. but it's a synth It's Because you can hear the glide on it, the portamento.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, a little vibrato on it there. Yeah. I never noticed that until I was listening back, like last week. I I just never really paid attention. <laughs> it was like I assumed it was a flute.
0: And in a like worse song, it would have felt cheesy, I yeah. guess, to have like, oh, it's birds tweeting in the yeah. background. But yeah, it's totally earned. It adds it's, to the effect by the end of the song.
1: I know, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's so cool. Just to me. What can you say about this one? It's just a yep. A+ plus, like yep. pop song. agreed. Um well, should we get into I mean side 2 is kind of that's the other kind of neat thing about this yeah. album is it's it's kind of two albums in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um side 2 as you mentioned. And, I mean, I, it, you know, Darren just talk about side 2 because it's, he- it's, it seems like a kind of a unique thing within the Yeah. I mean, I feel like
2: yeah, I mean, the, you know, the the Beatles definitely like dabbled in the concept album thing. I mean, they did Sgt. Pepper's as like as a con, you know, it was like the, I think may have been the first concept album. And so I feel like some of that, some of that DNA you can see here on the medley, which is just such a weird idea. <laughs> I feel like it sort of falls into that concept album territory a little bit. And it's so, first of all, but well, before we get into the medley, we have because, which is just one of the most beautiful harmony things oh, I've right, ever okay. heard. Um, and then I think the medley officially
1: starts on the next track after that. Right. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I, with streaming, it's like, you don't get the two sides thing. So
2: yeah, well you got, because, and then it starts with, you never give me your money. I think is the first, the actual beginning of the thing, which is rad. Um, so yeah, we got, I mean, I don't think we need to listen to because necessarily It just has incredible harmonies and is, and, and, and is, is delightful. And then you never give me your money is just. An awesome song and it establishes the vibe of the the vibe of the thing that is to come for the next 17 minutes or so um do you want to check that one out
1: yeah let's do it all right cool i mean like you you kind of brought it up about the singer-songwriter kind of thing but like this is kind of like billy joel's career oh yeah you know what I mean? Like yeah. those type of a guy, you know, that were very yeah? popular in the mid '70s. Oh yeah, you can tell. Like
2: Billy I mean, Joel I can t- t- took notes, just, like playing. Yeah, it. yeah, totally. This has a Billy Joel vibe. Actually, I never thought about that before, but
1: that's really wow, interesting. Yeah,
2: totally, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I feel like you know, all, all their albums were really influential, and I feel like on this album partially because it's so they're really dabbling in a lot of different styles. You kind of see offshoots of individual songs, almost like an entire movement of people being Mm -hmm. like, Ooh, that song, I'm going to go do more of that kind of thing. And then here we go. Got a jam here. Oh yeah. Paul is using his Lady Madonna voice here for this, this <laughs> yeah, part. Totally.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I no, I just didn't know that was Paul for a long time. I thought it was like they brought in some other guy. He's like, this doesn't sound <laughs> like any of the Beatles here.
1: It, yeah it's almost a shame that too with this this final side that you know i wish they would have switched around like let it be in this so like this would have been the last beatles album released oh uh, yeah yeah so i just feel like this one and i think they were recorded actually this was recorded after let this it be. this was yeah they like finished
2: up let it be later like let it be was one they were recording when the band fell apart mm-hmm. and george quit and then they're like okay well let's just make one last album yeah and we'll make it awesome and we'll do, we'll, you know, we'll really pull out all the stops and they made out yeah. road.
1: <laughs> I'd actually read too that George Martin, the producer was like, all right, I'll come back, but you guys better have your shit together a little bit more than we did for Let It yeah. Be. Like, yeah. I want some effort. Some songs. I want, yeah.
2: I want to like record music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I mean, Let It Be, they was like a sort of posthumous release for the band, you know? And there's some great tracks on there, but it's, you know,
1: It's not not quite the same thing. Uh, But it it feels like sort of a group of competing interests rather than a band. Yeah, yep. Which I'm sure is probably
2: what it felt like at the time. Yeah, I mean, if you watch the the Let It Be documentary from the 70s, I guess, it's really... It kind of paints Paul as the villain pretty bad. You know, like, Mm -hmm. he's like the other guys are all just like, uh, whenever he talks, you know,
3: it's yeah. just like,
2: Oh dear. But I'm really excited to see that Peter Jackson documentary that kind of is just like, doesn't j- only, it's like, has a different narrative position and doesn't just show that, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what it's like. Cause, cause you know, when I watched that, I was like, Oh man, I wouldn't want to be in a band with that guy, you know? But then you hear him, you know, go yeah. on and on. And that Rick Rubin documentary, like I, yeah, I, He has, he had the, he had all the good ideas, you know, what are you going to (laughs) do?
1: Yeah. I think Paul was probably in the also position of like, Hey, we got to get this done guys. Kind of, which no one really likes the cheerleader kind of thing. Motivator person. Yeah. Um, this next song, uh, is actually, this might be my favorite song on the album. I want to just call out Jason to a previous episode of Crossfade. Um, one of my favorite bands uh that we did their album I Can Hear the Heart Beating is one. But Sun King basically like invents the band Yola Tango. Oh yeah. In the first like twenty seconds of this song. And, <laughs> yeah. and Yola Tango is definitely like one of my all time uh favorite bands and cool. And I think that's one of the things I, I like about Sun King so much.
2: Yeah, Sun King's beautiful. It's such a just a pretty again it's like incredible harmonies just a real vibe. They're using like cricket samples or whatever. You feel like you're like outside in the evening somewhere beautiful, you know, it's, yeah, it's really cool. And then, and also I, I I was trying to look up what John was saying. And apparently it's just like a gibberish mix of languages. Like it's like a little Portuguese, a little Spanish, a little Italian. (laughs) Go figure. It does. doesn't mean anything. He's just saying some words he knows from some different languages. Aren't aren't we all though, Baron? <laughs> yeah, aren't we all? No, I I agree.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, here is Sun King.
1: Yeah, that's like you, Tango. <laughs> that's why I love you, I love this sound. Yeah,
2: just sitting outside somewhere beautiful in the evening, you know. Crickets. Oh yeah. Some lush chorus on that guitar, there, you know.
0: <laughs> Sounded good. Does anybody else like, I don't know, when I hear this, I want to start singing Don't Let Me Down. Is it just the chord progression that's similar? Yeah. I well, think it's yeah. Similar,
2: similar <laughs> chord progression, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Right there in that break, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just want to let loose into it, yeah. Oh, that song's great too. Yeah. Beatles, uh, Beatles, pretty good. Turns out. <laughs> what? Controversial. You want to back that up? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a gut feeling. I think these kids are going places.
0: Uh, well, yeah, they were kids. I, I got really depressed um, earlier today finding yeah. out that George Harrison was 26 when the Beatles broke up. Yes. When they broke up. isn't that crazy finish their career i
2: was looking at that too like they were like 26 and 27 when they made this album basically maybe john was a couple years older like he was like 29 he was the elder statesman right like imagine have yeah writing like 300 amazing songs in like six years or whatever (laughs)
0: that is the thing that always gets me about their career is that <laughs> yeah. like it wasn't just tragically short it was just like short Yeah, like I can remember things that yeah. happened six years ago yeah. I could remember things yeah. that happened within the entire yeah. span of their career yeah. you know it's just yeah. Freaky. yeah.
2: I mean I, I mean, guess it's like eight used to years just, but still man Harris George was like 18 when their first album came out something like that
1: I mean bands used to also just like they made records on a yearly basis you know now there's like yeah. you know, seven years oh, yeah. between Radiohead yeah. records or yeah, something yeah. it's like you know, I, the one that always, like, makes me feel inferior is that um uh Creedence Clearwater Revival released yeah. B- Bayou Country, Green River, and Willie and the Poor Boys all in 1969. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Like, three of yeah. their classic three albums in one albums, calendar yeah. Yeah. year. Yeah. It's like, it's just crazy. But, you know, yeah. that, that's just what bands did then. You got off tour and you went back right in the studio and it's like. Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, the Beatles were doing, like, two to three albums a year for their whole time. I mean, they slowed down towards the end, but. It was like, at the beginning, they were cranking them out, you know? Ah, uh, Mean Mr. Mustard. Here we go. song is awesome. This is yeah, like... Just,
0: the mood is to just let it run, so let me know if yeah, you want to pause it. No,
1: it's fine. Fine for me. Yeah. This is classic John to me. Like, just yeah, his kind totally. of odd, like, psychedelic kind of... Yeah.
2: And it's like a really vivid picture of this dude, <laughs> Mean Mr. Mustard, you know? It's this weird mean old mr mustard i think it's very
0: yeah it's do you think it's only getting there through lyrics or how do you hear it in the in the song how do you hear me me mr mustard in the
2: song absolutely i think that like the kind of quirky vibe of the piano part the like that kind of thing is like it just feels like it's kind of like a slightly goofy feeling riff but it's got some Mm. edge to it and i yeah i really dig it it's super super cool and then and then he sets his he sets up Polythene Pam in that verse there, his sister Pam, and then here she comes, Athene yeah. Pam.
1: Yeah, I, I also like these two songs because um, they almost—it's kind of interesting. They almost feel like more of a throwback to almost like the Sergeant Pepper's yeah. era. Yeah, like the kind of like weird, quirky, like you know, benefit of Mister Kite mm-hmm. or you know, lovely Rita kind of characters. Yeah, yeah, I love
2: that. Yeah, and they get to jam out a little bit. There's not a lot of that on this album, you know. Coming coming at the end of the tune they jam out for a bit. Mhm. Ringo
0: going crazy on the toms. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier Ringo's toms just like Ringo's drums just sounding great, and I want to totally agree with that and echo <laughs> echo that. I mean, the he did stuff that people weren't really doing much at that time he was putting like tea towels on his drums and stuff because he liked how thuddy it made them and it's just like he doesn't get enough credit for that i don't think it's really yeah his drum sound awesome
1: yeah and that really that that dead super dead sound was definitely became the sound of the 70s oh absolutely yeah like listen to any like listen to god like like after the Gold Rush by Neil Young, <sighs> yeah. there's like zero reverb on that whole. Yeah, like yeah. it's all dry and like close yeah. mic, and um, which I think I wish people would do more. Like I think you know, like I guess reverb is so intoxicating in a yeah. way. But
2: and then of course, Came through the bathroom window is awesome. This just grooves,
1: grooves real hard. The harmonies are great. One thing, though, I have never... And you've probably listened to this more closely than I. Do you detect... I mean, I like how all these songs float together Mm -hmm. and flow together Mm -hmm. and are structured. Um, Do you detect, like, a... I don't know. I don't want to say a plot line because that would be too um, deliberate or whatever. But I mean, like, a, a theme or, like, a connection between these songs.
2: I mean, I think...
1: Not really. I mean, I think there are some.
2: And, you know, definitely, like, me, Mr. Mustard, and Pauline, Pam have like a connection lyrically, um, and you know, you never give me your money is referenced later, you know, uh, in Golden Slumbers. I think it is uh, kind of the end of the, towards the end of the um, medley. But yeah, I mean, I think I think it's more of my guess is they they had a bunch of little pieces of songs, and you're like, you know what, <laughs> let's make a medley out of it.
1: Oh Boys. yeah, instead of like <laughs> having to finish them. Yeah.
2: I think honestly think they're like it's just like, well let's let's pull you know, pull out all the stops, have a bunch of little songs, you know. And I mean they're not all little. I mean this there's this one's a full on full on yeah. jam.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um that brings up a question I had while listening. Yeah. how do you guys feel about these tracks being separated rather than like one big suite that's like one long track non stopping that just has like oh at two minutes it becomes polythene Pam or whatever yeah 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 yeah. does that throw off any of the sequencing for you I guess
2: I mean it depends on how you listen to it you know originally this was pressed on vinyl because that was the format that existed and and that's the Mm -hmm. way they sort of intended it to be made I think it makes sense to break them up for the context of a CD or digital music um but you know it's pretty fun to listen to all the way through I mean
1: that's that's my preferred method yeah yeah I'm I'm it sounds intriguing to do that, but then there's like I don't know if you've ever listened to this "Love, Sexy" by Prince. Uh huh. Like that's mm-hmm, still mm-hmm. programmed. That was one, one on CD. It was one track. And uh-huh. it's, I think it's still one track on streaming. And it's yeah, frankly, kind of annoying.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a there's a medley by They Might Be Giants that I really love called "Fingertips," and uh, it's like one song, but they have them all split up as different tracks and they're like 11 seconds or whatever 5 to 5 to 10 seconds each or something like that and it's like i think it's like 30 tracks or 20 tracks or whatever it is you know it's like just for that little medley yeah becomes
0: unsustainable at a certain point
2: yeah yeah it's cool i i dig it and then the end the end of the album is like track 38 or whatever because of wow. that medley in the middle you know ah <laughs> oh, so good Yeah, and you know carry that weight i think they've talked about how how it's about the beatles you know they're gonna they're gonna have to live down the fact that they were a beetle for the rest of their lives you know
1: yeah <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they were they were definitely right they, they were, were right in yeah. different ways tragic ways oh gosh yeah
0: which which makes this track a little bit more i don't know haunting or maybe yeah. meaningful isn't this like one of the last times all four of them had vocals on the same track yeah i think i might think have i been, read yeah. that somewhere like yeah. lennon was out but yeah. came back and overdubbed or whatever yeah yeah so in that through that lens that's i mean the whole thing is sad
2: but. i know yeah i mean it, yeah it's so crazy imagine i mean they they the the sort of the magnitude of what happened to them This the idea that they became more famous than like anyone else had ever been all of a sudden you know and they were Mm -hmm. the only four people in the world who knew what that was like (laughs) yeah and uh and they went through a bunch together and yeah it's it's it you know there's certainly a part of me that was like man i wish they could have worked it out (laughs) yeah yeah but you know on the other hand i know what it's like to be in a you know in a situation creative situation that's where people are rubbing on each other in in a certain way and you know there's People's egos get in the way, and there's, you know, tensions can run real high,
1: even in something that appears
2: to be perfect from the outside. You know,
1: yeah. I actually rewatched this week. Um, it's another documentary that's, I think, it's a smaller slice of their career, but I, I, I don't know if you ever saw Eight Days a Week, I the did. touring years, yeah, I saw it was great. which is a uh, Ron Howard and uh, yeah. Because I was trying to tell my daughter about like how famous the Beatles were, yeah, and I sort of realized like I don't think like. She can probably perceive <laughs> yeah. like what it was like, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you know, you could say like, "Oh, wow, Billie Eilish is very popular," or, or like yeah. Drake is very popular, but like it's not the same thing, right? Like,
2: like I feel like like BTS or something that has like a real insane, <laughs> like yeah, like, rabid fan base that just screams the whole time. It's that's a, maybe that has something similar about it, sort
1: but of, but it's man, not that, the same. The, the footage in that movie is fucking terrifying at yeah. times, like yeah. you know. You get the, I mean, I feel like those kids were going to rip them apart. Yeah. It if they really got to like that. Like, yeah. It's just like, I mean, I know that the, the boy bands always kind of have that thing, but like, yeah. the, I just don't think it's like, culture is so divided now anyway. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, I, I literally have never heard a BTS song to my knowledge. Sure. Yeah. And I can walk around in my daily life and go, and it just doesn't come up. Yeah. Whereas like in those days, like you knew the Beatles songs, right? Yeah. Like, whether you liked it or not, yeah.
2: <laughs> and or I love that I think yeah, all four of them get solos here. By the way, all the all three get to, all three of the Beatles, yeah. and then Ringo get <laughs> yeah. you know the, the the guitar players, and then Ringo on the drums
1: gets his yeah, own solo. It's like the end of this end of the set thing, you know, yeah. where like they, everyone's like on the drums, Ringo Starr, yeah, exactly, yeah. And then they go back into the song, yeah, it's great.
2: And you know, just to shout out the production of this record again, you know they're they're doing a lot of cool stuff with just placement in the stereo image, which they hadn't really done a lot before. Like they they panned stuff left and right out of necessity based on things that could be eq'd together. Right? Was like how they mixed the earlier stuff, and this one, I think that song. Is the first time they have like a stereo drum mix or whatever, <laughs> you know, like wow. they hadn't done that on any of their other tunes. And they're you yeah. know guitars and the left ear and then the right ear, you know that little that little repeated mm-hmm. phrase there and yeah. There's a lot of detail in the mix for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, and I love this little tag too. It's just one of those little. It just feels like a. It's almost like a fun anticlimax in a way, <laughs> you know, because
1: got that big hit i did read that this was a mistake originally oh really it was like le- it was like not supposed to be transferred to the master from a reel and they oh, wow. did it by mistake and then the band kind of like got into it they're like
2: ah that's cool
1: yeah yeah <laughs> just so it was totally happenstance Amazing. that's why i you know is kind of the way it feels Is like sort of a
2: it's kind of a secret track actually yeah, yeah. the first yeah. kind of a secret track i mean They've done, and they did secret tracks before this too. I mean, if the one thing that's crazy, I was listening to Sergeant Peppers. I finally picked it up on vinyl and you know, that thing in the middle of the record that kind of repeats for a minute and then gets the next track, you know, it's the never do the any up the never do. you know, that, that weird yes, thing
1: yep. mm-hmm.
2: on, I didn't realize that on the vinyl record, that is actually a loop. And so when you get to the end of side one, that loops forever until you yeah. oh. it's like a Tur- run out groove right they yeah it's just, on on cir- it's just a circle it's just a circle said the groove is just a complete circle and it never stops leaves the groove
0: man that stuff's so cool
2: yeah i know yeah. and so i was like listening to it with my kid the first time i listened to the record ever and it was just going we were just kind of doing legos or something and i was like oh wait a minute it's been like five minutes and this is still happening <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. but then you kind of get it every once in uh, a while i'll get into a skip on a record yeah, yeah. and it'll kind of be a cool little like yeah. groove and i'll sort of just like listen to the skip for like five minutes yeah yeah that's great well abbey road a very good album by a very good band the I'm beatles great. get to know them uh but yeah this was i mean it was it was an album i knew but like one thing i like about doing the show is i tend to listen to it uh much more closely as i'm kind of getting prepared. Um, so it was kind of interesting because I definitely noticed, like, you were talking about some of the little touches in the mix and yeah. the stereo field. And I think I, I, you know, my appreciation for it grew just because I was sort of like more active listening to it. Um, all right. Well, we're going to switch gears here to my pick. Um, yeah. this is a band I like a lot. And in certain ways, you know, like I said, I, it's cool to appreciate the, the subtle details in the Beatles song, but like this band kind of brought me back to like maybe when I was like a little kid and what I thought like, loud rock music should be like oh, you know yeah. what i mean or that kind of just that feeling of it and um i guess i've always been a big fan of queens of the stone age i think that they uh have sort of existed in kind of a unique space in music like they're not necessarily a metal band but they're kind of heavy yeah um and uh you know i, I just i i i think they have a good sense of like sort of melodicism and pop songwriting for a heavy band um Absolutely. i don't know Darren, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm assuming you're familiar with them, but were yeah. you like a fan or?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I happen to own this record on vinyl. Um, uh, and, and I really dig it. It's, it's the one I'm the most familiar with of their catalog. You know, I think, I think I am a big Dave Grohl fan. It turns out. Cause I just like every band he's in, you know, I like yeah uh, the Foo Fighters are cool. Nirvana's, you know, I hear their those guys have, have some promise, <laughs> Yeah. uh, you know, Tenacious D, I love Tenacious D, you know, so I mean, any, any, any band Dave girls associated with, I tend to like
1: them, uh, <laughs> just cause yes. he brings a lot of fun to whatever, whatever he's doing. Yeah. And this is just like this album, you know, he, he you know, he hadn't really been playing drums a whole lot because the, you know, by this time the yeah. Foo Fighters are a yeah. going concern and he's kind of, you know, transformed into a, a front man. I watched yeah. like their Lollapalooza thing on Hulu. Yeah. Um, he's definitely an arena front man now, but man, this is like a rock. If you just want a heavy rock like Drumming Clinic, this album is just like unbelievable. Yeah. Um I don't know. Let's kick it off with No One Knows because I think this is oh, a song yeah. that kind of took them to a new level and to me Absolutely. this is just yeah. I don't know. It's a fairly perfectly constructed rock song to me. I agree. Um and uh, and Grohl on some of these parts is just oh god, ungodly. He's bringing the thunder.
2: Oh, and you know you know, the other album we talked about had a, had a, some interesting, adventurous production. This one did, too. The, I, I researched the recording of this album a little bit, and they did some crazy stuff. Like, this song in particular, I don't know if it was for all of them, but for this song, they recorded the drums themselves and the cymbals separately, like on uh, separate what? takes. Yeah. Jeez. So they had Dave Grohl play pillows or whatever and just do the cymbals on one take. I think he probably did the what? drums first is my guess. So he's playing pillows for all the cymbal stuff and playing the drums, and then he overdubbed all of the cymbals with the pillows what? in for the drums, like playing to his other take. And That's they, insane. And they did it so they could have full isolation control oh, yeah, over, no, that makes sense. over the, mean,
1: the yeah, parts of the mix, right? Yeah, because symbols bleed into everything. So Yeah,
2: and I mean... The sound of these drums is so interesting, and I don't feel like it's a pretty. I don't feel like it's an, a drum sound that you hear a lot. Like, they have this weird. They're like super dead, but they're also really punchy and have this like incredible. Yeah, I mean, well, like, they, they right just right got
1: a. Yeah, love it. His drumming on these parts is just
2: like. It's great. And he's going to town. I mean, he's. And it's a, another thing I love about Dave Grohl as a drummer is that he's doing stuff that's pretty, sometimes pretty adventurous, but it's always song-serving, and it's always much like Ringo, <laughs> and it's always uh, always a ton of fun to listen to. And, yeah. and it feels like it would be t- a lot of fun to play, also. Yeah, because
1: you know? I mean, after that, like, really crazy playing, like, he's just back to a very, like, just you know, in-the-pocket beat. Yeah. And he's not yeah. really, like, overplaying or anything.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: That's fantastic. I love the song.
2: And yeah, Josh Homme's really cool vocalist i mean and you know this album i think uh if i remember correctly is also sort of a concept album i mean they have the sort of the i think the idea was it's sort of what you hear scanning through the radio when you're driving through the desert right was the and you have to have all the little radio clips and and driving through the middle of nowhere um and yeah it's it's super fun i love all the interludes and
1: and uh and all that stuff (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's a, it, it's a little flimsy as yeah. far as concept yeah, go. Yeah, it's not you know like
2: that connected overall. But, but, <laughs> but that, it adds it adds
1: a little fun to the kind yeah. of interludes and things. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, the concept is not yeah all unifying fully, but but uh there's some really cool collaborators on this. I mean, like uh, Mark Lanigan sings a couple of tracks. I think two or yeah, three. Yeah, he sings
1: three three. Um, the song for uh, the dead hanging tree and the God, God isn't the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Nick, uh, <laughs> Nick Oliveri, right? Yeah. Uh, you know what? We should maybe go back to the first song because like, I, I want to kind of give Oliveri his due. And that's oh, yeah. very, like, he was a big part of the band for a long time. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, you think I ain't worth a dollar, but I feel like a millionaire. And this <laughs> kind of takes it back to the very early <laughs> stage of the band. Um, Nick Oliveri was the bass player, yep. uh, for many years, uh, <laughs> they had some sort of falling out. Um, I think Nicola very was even in a band that didn't shy away from drugs, mm-hmm. um, did a lot of mm-hmm. them. And he ended Got up it. with some sort of like standoff with the police in his house. He had like a bunch of weapons and stuff. Oh boy. Uh, he's also in a band called the dwarves, which are like, uh, yeah, the dwarves are something else. Uh, <laughs> so he's kind of a crazy dude, but this is his, him singing. And they always kind of, they, they tend to have at least one of these kind of like screamers on every. Album. Yeah. Oh, yeah, here's the kind of the
2: tuning radio. Yeah, get hopping in your car, right? Going for a drive in the desert.
3: <laughs>
2: Let's see what's on the AM.
3: <laughs>
2: Does he sing uh, Six Shooter
1: also? I believe so, yeah. That's like the other screamer. Actually, weirdly, at least Wikipedia said he sings another love song, which is I... Oh. Really? which I was really surprised by that I, that That's, may be wrong that sounds like Hami
2: to me but I thought it did too I'd be very surprised be wrong yeah. detail
1: yeah I love this really like this is always a, this is a gimmick but I always love the gimmick when it starts really lo-fi and then just like yeah 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 hits you in the face yeah a little high you pass know what's filter. coming to oh you yeah. yeah 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 So yeah, I actually um, I saw them on this tour. Oh cool! It was an insane show because uh, anyone knows by the trail of dead open. Yeah, um, Oliveri was still in it. Lanigan was there, and, and Grohl. he just Grohl's on the drums on that tour, right? No, this no. was the sec- this They did a small club tour uh, with Grohl. It was um, another great drummer was uh, Chuck Biscuits yeah. from uh, Circle Jerks and Danzig. <laughs> nice on, uh, and he's he's great too. Yeah, was, yeah, but. Lanigan was funny because he, like, he looked kind of like just a Western. Yeah. He had a duster on. Yeah, yeah. He he literally would just stalk out to the middle of the stage, stand there just, like, dead straight, staring at the audience menacingly, and, like, sing the song, and then march right back (laughs) off. And, like, never acknowledge (laughs) the crowd one bit. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He has a really heavy, like, don't fuck with me kind of vibe. Yeah. Mark Lanigan from a band called the Screaming Trees, who were kind of... uh, you know part of the grunge kind of thing with you know nirvana they yeah. even never got quite as big but they were definitely a big seattle band back
2: then. yeah and he yeah he had a uh, he had quite a lot of issues with drugs for a long time but i think he's been, been yeah off. i heard for that like 20 years he's been been off of it yeah i think he has
1: a new book that somebody said was kind of interesting for like,
2: yeah yeah it's like a tell-all kind of rock 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 and roll tell-all mm-hmm. talking about how how he was just trying to get heroin in every city that he went to
0: on <laughs> tour and <laughs> yeah. stuff yeah
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um well what like uh, uh Darren what what should we listen to next? Gosh, you know, l- let's check out First it Giveth
2: actually because yeah. I think the the drums the, the, during the in particular during the chorus the drum part is just like bananas and really fun. The riff is so good on that song.
1: I mean, the, yeah. That's yeah. an awesome driving wonderful way to start a song. <laughs> this symbol thing is really messing me up, though, now that I listen to this.
2: I don't know if it was every track, or just No One Knows, or only some of them, wow. but, but yeah, you can look on YouTube. There's, they have, like, video about how they did it and stuff. Um, it's awesome. And this, I think what, they had, like, a con- uh, pretty contentious relationship with the producer of this album, who like, kind of left or they fired in the middle and then they they just, like, they had an engineer kind of finish it for them, finish all the production. Oh, okay. And I really like their... Yeah, I love all their sounds, like, their guitar sounds are super weird and, like, they would use all sorts of weird amps. Like, they wouldn't use... There's no, like, Marshall Stack to be found on this album, you know? It's all, like, some... You know, going through, like, a weird bass cabinet with some crazy yeah pedal and you know just just weird <laughs> quirky stuff yeah and this the thing girls doing here where keep the timekeeping stuff on the on the cymbal with the like the constant tom stuff in between is so rad
1: yeah and one thing i too i i just like about this band overall just their sound is i love the juxtaposition of like really heavy stuff and then Tommy's vocal style is so kind of smooth and yeah. almost like crooning that yeah. I, I think it just it always gave them a very different vibe, yeah. which is kind of why I don't. I mean, on paper they're kind of a heavy metal band, but yeah. I guess they never really felt that way to me in a way. Yeah. Um, I, I I kind of put them in the category of like heavy stoner rock,
2: you know, sort of yeah,
1: my yeah, yeah, and there was definitely all those you know bands like you know, Fu Man yeah. Masters of Reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: this is a really interesting record, and and um, at some point, I want to. I, I do want to talk a little bit about "Song for the Dead." That's a long one. We don't have to listen to the whole thing, but I just love the. That's that's an example of some crazy, weird production stuff. I think on that one. For, yeah, for, for I, a heavy... I love this one. So, like, one thing I think is really interesting about the song is the thing you you don't really hear on a lot of songs is there's like two different drum mixes. Like it starts with the, the big stereo drum kit. And then when the song starts, it pans the whole thing left. And I think it's a different drum set or a different snare drum, at least because it just sounds totally different. Um, and then at the end for like the big finish that comes back to like the
1: big stereo kit.
2: And it's such a, such a cool weird little touch. And wow! Such... Point that
1: out because I've listened. I'd never noticed yeah. that. Yeah, I will. Yeah, it's like that. The whole intro section.
2: You know, when girls doing the fills, there. Oh yeah. Yeah, is that big stereo kit sound? You know.
1: Yeah, I love this. Going kind to of start stoppy stuff. Oh yeah. like sound check. That's great.
2: Yeah. I mean, so much energy in this tune. It's awesome. I also happen to love them crooked vultures, which, you know, is Tommy and girls like super group with, with, uh, John Paul Jones and I wish they'd make another album okay here we go now it's all panned left right here Uh, all the drums are panned just in your left ear and it's like a weird kind of like a much tinier sounding snare drum like a higher pitch and yeah so for the bulk of the whole song with the part with the vocals it's like this and then at the end it kind of switches back for the big huh. like, drum stuff that happens and I think that's such a such a weird weird approach, you know, usually for within a given tune you'll kind of have a drum sound and you'll stick with it or you'll have, you know different components that come in and out but but the idea of just sort of changing the drum mix and like this whole stereo image of the drum mix and stuff, it's very weird
1: <laughs> Yeah, that is, I never noticed that, but I totally hear it Yeah. Do you think it's there
0: just to throw the listener off, or?
2: I mean, I think it could be for that reason to make make you a little uneasy. It could be for mixed reasons, like it it just sounds cool. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's all sorts of things. It could be. I mean, it it. uh, I mean, I think it does sound cool and does serve the song, and is 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 it certainly makes it feel like there's a bookend on it. It like helps with that feeling that there's like this middle section is a very unique different part than the beginning and end and it helps yep. cement that from a mixed perspective i think
1: yeah i love the guitar fills here these real like oh it's great tony yeah. iomi kind of love it whatever that sound is where you like it's like heavy overdrive but you kind of like roll the tone back yep yep, yep, so yep. it's almost that kind of like super liquid kind I of love it yeah very yeah, like, not not a lot of articulation Sabbath.
2: there yeah it's great
1: and the harmonies are so creepy and everything, of course. Yeah, they, they do it. That's another thing they do that a lot of bands of this ilk don't, is like they like they do a lot of harmony vocals in a cool way, so yeah. like, layer on. Yeah. Here yeah. they get a little old-school 70s. One. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of fun. But yeah, here you definitely hear that weird, like, you know, yeah, whatever kind of... Uh, junk store amps or yeah, whatever Yeah, I love
2: it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I guess maybe if you want to skip ahead to like, I don't know where the outro section begins. Let me see. Yeah, there it is. And so now we're back to that stereo mix.
1: This is yes. breakneck. Oh, <laughs>
0: freaky.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's that opening section again that they've come back to, yeah. It almost feels like you've changed the changed the station in the middle of the song a little bit, you know. <laughs>
3: mhm.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there are I guess two outro sections, one's just louder than the other. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's great. Actually, I just remembered this, but speaking of a rock band, I saw these guys uh, at E3 at the Troubadour, yeah, for a rock band oh, part. Amazing. God, that was amazing. That's they so, were so close. That's so cool. And then I saw I saw him and uh, Brody Dolly leave the club together <laughs> looking oh, like just this like punk rock royalty kind of thing. Amazing. Um one that I definitely want to get to and we can, you know, go other places to do I think go with the flow yeah. is another one that's kind of up there with, uh, you know, I think no one knows. It's just yeah. like, I don't know. It's just an awesomely catchy rock song. Yeah, totally. It's like pretty straightforward
2: relative to the other stuff on the album. I'd say it's like the most, the most like, you know, the, the one they thought was going to be a single when they were making it, maybe, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, for sure. it's cool.
1: I love this guitar part right there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so many good guitar tones on this album. Yeah. it's kind of woozy sounding. Yeah.
2: It's great. It just sounds like they had a lot of fun making this record too. I mean Yeah. Part of what I love about when I a lot of Dave Grohl's stuff that he works on is just like, man, he's having fun playing those drums, I can tell.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or he's he's enjoying himself here. Yeah, this also has another one of my very favorite. I don't know if it's cliche, kind of, but it worked for Jerry Lee Lewis. It worked for like E Pop, oh, yeah. "Search and Destroy." The the eighth, one chiming note, note yeah. high on a piano through a whole song that like, yep. never lets up,
2: like eighth note
1: piano. I fucking stuff, love yeah. that every That's time great. people do it. And I like I know what, I know they're just trying to do "Search and Destroy," yeah. But I still love it. That's great.
2: Yeah, it's just got a thing, and you can't. You know, sometimes you need that thing. And this one, this one to me feels a little more like some other Queens of the Stone Age stuff that I'm familiar with, like from some of their other records, um, like Little Sister and stuff. And like, uh, yes. it just feels more like it's in the vein of that kind of stuff. Um, which, yeah, which is really cool. I feel like it makes it almost a little bit of an outlier on this record, though, because it's so, so much more straightforward than most of the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's also it's just so good You can't yeah. really argue with it No it's sometimes. great Yeah it's like You know why it's here It's awesome It totally makes sense And it yeah It's
3: great
2: So I have this on, on vinyl And it's a really long album Right so it's two discs and the, the last side is just Song for the Deaf and Mosquito Song. That's what the last side is, just the two oh, songs. Oh, okay.
1: So they, they put Mosquito Song on there.
2: Yeah, they put it on. They didn't. I don't think they put the intro song on, though, actually.
1: The, the actual, what is it called? Yeah. Actual Song I mean, for the Deaf. That was weird. I, I the real Song for the Jason, I didn't know if yeah. he knew this record, and yeah. I was like, on Spotify, it comes up as, you know, the first song, and it doesn't really set it off on the best. Yeah. For people, it, it was on the CD. You had to start the CD yeah. and then rewind into negative space to play. Oh, it was a secret track. Yeah, so you had to rewind mm. from the beginning into like minus like one thirty six yeah. or yep, something. Yep, 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 so yep. it was, you know, it's a, a relic of a, a bygone yeah. <laughs> CD age. That's an record. interesting, interesting way to, to choice there because I,
2: you know, there's other records like I know. I mean, there's other records like They Might Be Giants has a, a record like that where they have a secret track that you have to rewind to, but they didn't put that on the digital album it just like isn't on there (laughs) you know yeah I think probably could have skipped it it's kind of just a joke throwaway thing yeah it's like it's cool I mean I really I dig secret tracks as a thing it's just I feel like the digital format does not support
1: secret tracks very well (laughs) you know it doesn't
2: you have Um, to put parentheses hidden track or whatever you know it's like kind of defeats the purpose
1: yeah (laughs) and what what should we where should we go to next
2: Um, oh gosh I mean Hanging Trees got a crazy vibe and Lanigan's bringing it. I mean, Do It Again is awesome. Yeah, I mean, Another Love Song is is another one that's like pretty straightforward and interesting, kind of weird for mm-hmm. this record.
1: Um yeah, I'm Yeah. Let's hear you Hanging Tree. I always was like that. It's yeah. Real menacing. Yeah, it's super menacing. Yeah, again, awesome.
2: Those banging riffs to start, you know. Love it. Another the guitar It's like angry feedback.
1: It is kind of one of the strange aspects of this album, too, is this like kind of democratic singing thing, you know? Yeah. Which you just, especially for a guy with like Hami, who is a pretty, you know. Yeah. Charismatic, like front man and you know, has a pretty identifiable singing style that kind of, you know, surrender a decent amount of the album.
2: Yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I dig that, and you know, in a lot of ways, there's, I feel like there, there are more parallels than I realized between this and like a Beatles album. You know what I mean? It's got, oh yeah, you got a bunch of different singers, you got some adventurous production stuff happening here. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I like also that this song is in five four. By the way, just a shout out for five four. Doesn't get enough oh. love.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a it's kind of like pickup. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like this
0: and the Halloween theme, right? That's kind of it for five four popular music representation. Yeah, there's
1: not a lot. There's some, but yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, take five famously. Yeah, take five for oh, sure. You're yeah. Right. You're right.
2: That's the only thing I can really think. There's. A, yeah, I know. There's more, but I don't have my five four famous songs list ready to go in my head <laughs>
0: the codex <laughs> is closed while you record huh? nope. there's
1: some there's some popular genesis song from the 80s it's in a weird time signature and i can't remember but yeah <laughs> but
2: yeah this super super fun menacing interesting like evocative lyrically like super weird and creepy and yeah it's like driving yeah. and pretty at the same time yes yeah, it's, it's got it got a lot of cool stuff going on and the five four you know yeah.
0: I mean, I guess what it, you're known, I guess for using fi- I think I counted out a 13/8 bar followed by a 14/8 bar in one of the tracks on the Hades soundtrack. Oh, yeah. So, yep. You're pretty you're pretty well versed in terms <laughs> of like making that making like a groovy rocky sound work with yeah, with strange time signatures. What do you think is the secret there? Is it like coming up with a riff that fits or is it fixing it in like finding a way to make it janky at the end? I what I, is I it?
2: think it's coming up with a riff that makes then like I think the 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 coolest weird time signature stuff it just feels like a riff that has to be that length and then it then it all works you know and and I think especially if you're singing over the top of it the way you approach the writing of the melody like I feel like Soundgarden is a band that's really great at that specific yeah. thing where they just have crazy time signatures in their songs and it's like you don't notice you just yes it's like this yeah. is the riff this is how long it is and then a new measure starts when it ends you know like that's That's awesome. And then, you know, he does a lot of like long vocal phrases that sort of overlap the entire measure. So it kind of just flows and
1: yeah, makes it, makes it feel super rad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kim Mm -hmm. Thale too uses a ton of like weird tunings, yeah, Yeah, but it never really sounds, it still sounds kind of like rock. You know what I mean? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. No, it's actually
1: Soundgarden and Queens. That's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. Just two bands that did a lot of creative things sort of within a traditional kind of heavy rock format. yeah absolutely um let's would, uh do it again should we hear that one so yeah a, let's one's do it a banger hey real yeah, there soccer go. like stadium yeah thing. exactly yeah a little rock shuffle going on there jason i i I meant to bring this up earlier but and you were unfamiliar with this the band basically
0: yeah i only knew the josh Homme that had been in the headlines which is not a very favorable portrait no. to band of the oh, guy yeah. over the last five or ten years yeah. uh so i was like oh okay i'm finally gonna find out what this music sounds like i have to tread carefully <laughs> but uh no i i had not heard any queens before this
1: yeah. what's your take on it
0: i think it's good it's i guess i had to listen more and this definitely through the lens you guys have created at like the depth and interesting production this kind of music sort of shaped a lot of what I listened to in middle school yep. you know I, this came out when I was nine so yep. I wasn't like really finding my own music at the time yeah. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> the how dare you listen I get to feel bad about George Harrison you get to feel bad about me yeah uh, no but like the the like the way that it fits in the music I already know you know the later like the post-rock the post-hardcore that type of genre yeah um is where I'm starting to like slot this into my mind like this this sort of half ironic studio chant thing in music that's not really quite like arena ready yep. uh is a really interesting contrast to play and of course, it's like catchy at the same time yep. it just, it's not up its own ass about how like interesting it is. um so I'm excited to listen to more. Is this like the album the Boy. codex for um, them or is there another one that's like more descriptive?
1: uh rated R. I mean, I think there'd be an equal amount of people that would say that was their best album. I'd say this one. Um, They were really pretty solid. Um, The first album, just self-titled, is great. Um, Lullabies to Paralyze has Little Sister, which um, Darren mentioned, which is a really great single. Um, Mm. And honestly, the only one I don't like is... I I like... Was it like Clockwork was pretty good? The Mm. only one I didn't like was the last one where they tried to do this kind of weird pop direction and I don't oh. think it was super mm. they had the they pulled up had Mark, huh? Mark Ronson who had done a lot of oh. Amy winehouse and yep. stuff production yep. and it was kind of weird and thin and it just didn't uh. I like the idea more than the execution I guess
2: <laughs> I, I really don't what what that that song my God is the son that's not from that album is it
1: but I don't. I only listened to that like one or two times. I don't I, remember.
2: I dig that tune in in sort of isolation. I I know it from Rock Band. <laughs> oh okay. Um, and I I really love that tune. It's really fun to play.
0: Uh, yeah, that one is from Light Clockwork, twenty thirteen. Oh,
1: okay, Light yeah. Clockwork is good. Nice. That one's awesome. Yeah, the, this next one was something. I can't remember. What it was I was a little bummed out about it.
2: Yeah, I you know, I feel like. Um, there was a period too where like everybody was having Timbaland produce their album. Like everyone, like like it was like Bjork, who I I like normally had a Timbaland produced album, and I thought it was bad. And then hmm. and then uh, Chris Cornell, who mm-hmm. I like, had a Timbaland produced album, and I thought it was really bad. <laughs> it's just like yeah, just a bad match, you know. It's like this is not what this person does. Why are they doing this?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was called Villains, I guess, was the twenty seventeen. Uh-huh.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I, I know mm-hmm. Josh. I don't no, he went yeah. He kind of went off the deep end there. I don't know. don't have to go too
0: far into it, but yeah, it definitely colored how I approached this album. No,
1: I mean, that's fair. Uh, Yeah, I always got the sense that, you know, sometimes I think you just, you're on the road as a person. Yeah. Like Mm. too long and that can really warp. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Are
0: you talking about the Beatles or?
1: (laughs) Well, the Beatles quit, man. They were, (laughs) you know, they they, they, they couldn't hack it.
0: I'm sure it felt like 20 years to be on the road as the Beatles, though, even for just a couple. Well, I mean,
1: I mean, I'm not, absolutely not defending like what he did because some of like the kicking thing was really reprehensible yeah, like um i'm just saying like i mean josh was in kaius before this and yeah. like he's basically you know that's the way i always I, I think about guys like him or like keith richards like they've never known a normal life yeah. i think he was like 16 or 17 when kaius started yeah so he's been in band vans or tour buses basically for like you know his entire adult yeah. life 30 yeah. years. it's just like Pretty i feel insane. like that's not a healthy space to be in maybe you know for a mm-hmm. lot of people mm-hmm. yep. but um, um
0: well we've got just a few tracks left is there well, one we want to dive into god is in the radio another love song song for the dead and then that joke track
1: <laughs> well let's i mean mosquito song is actually a decent song I yeah. darren you picked the last one let's do one more
2: oh gosh this is too much pressure you know i think mosquito song is cool and 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 you know, I do. I do enjoy secret tracks. I feel like we probably shouldn't do that one though, because it is, in fact, a, se- a hidden track. But
1: <laughs> well, it's fine.
2: There's no rules. Why not? But uh, another love song is a fun one that feels yeah, pretty different that... from the rest of the album. You want to check that one out?
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. This is maybe as close to the Beatles as it gets. Yeah, you know? exactly.
2: For this, yeah, they're definitely doing a retro thing here.
1: Yeah, so many cool guitar tones in this record. Yeah. Yeah. You saw- Oh yeah, that's not Homie. Yeah, it's yeah, it is Nicole. I didn't know Nick could sing like that, but yeah, cool. That's awesome.
2: Just listening to this record makes me want to go listen to them Crooked Vultures again, just because I love I love that record. Actually, there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of similarities between the style of this record and that record a little bit. Um it's yeah. got a got a pretty serious, cool stoner thing going on from for most of this record and that one that one kinda I feel like it out, takes it up a notch in in a lot of ways, like the sort of crazy stoner rock.
1: Yeah, totally. There was a funny story about that album I read where, you know, obviously Hami and Grohl were just like, This is fucking John Paul Jones yeah. Oh, yeah. from Led Zeppelin. So yeah. they were just absolutely like giddy about yeah. this was gonna happen in a Over couple of days. Moon. So so Hami had literally like, called all these stores, like, scoured wherever, and, like, recreated um, John Paul Jones's, like, late 70s rig. Oh, my God. Like, you know, and paid probably a decent amount of money for yeah. it. And then he, he, like, John Paul Jones, like, you know, he's like, hey, man, we got it all set up. And he's like, oh, no, I don't. I don't use that anymore. He's like, pulls out his suitcase when it was like, you know, di- super digital, yeah, yeah, <laughs> small. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, I just, yeah. like, I just plug this direct, in. <laughs> and like Tommy was kind of like, oh, okay, oh. cool.
3: <laughs> We're really hoping you'd
2: do the Zeppelin <laughs> yeah. thing, but okay. I wanted you to play the
1: like physical graffiti rig, but yeah. Right. But of course, like those old guys, I don't think they're nostalgic They just move on. It's just yeah. like, well, it's like technology's better now, and like yeah. it doesn't weigh ten yeah. million pounds like an amp. I mean.
2: Uh, on the one hand I agree with that on the other hand it is hard to replicate like the sound of an old ass amp and, and yes. bass and guitar you know sometimes that stuff just kind of sounds a certain way and you don't the new stuff because the technology is better doesn't have a character and the weird you know buzz and hum and artifacts yeah. and stuff that the that the old stuff has
3: You're just another
1: yeah there was a studio I used to record at and like he just he had like a 70s ampeg you know coffin cabinet and SVT head and then Mm -hmm. he had like a late 60s Fender Precision and it's just like Mm. I would always bring my gear and he's like oh why don't we try this and you just like plug in and you're like oh this just sounds like awesome bass it's just so (laughs) much better yeah 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 I love that
2: you know I for practical reasons I mostly just use you know fake amps I use like software amps and stuff and and I have an amp that I use sometimes if I need feedback or whatever. But I do love proper recording studios and trying out all the gear and sampling all the amps and tr- mixing and matching guitars and picking mics and all that stuff. It's all it's all delightful. It's just it, expensive. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you know it's like not necessary for the process that I've developed over time, and it is it's a bonus if I am able to do it, but it's not like it's not essential to the. To the thing, you know?
1: Well, and frankly, I mean, you know, you know, recording a live band or a rock band is one thing, but you know, your process is really inherently digital. Like, I don't think your music could exist really.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it could exist in the same way for sure without, you know, technology having advanced to the point it was at in, you know, 2009 when I started working on Bastion, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it were one version of Logic earlier. Uh, it probably wouldn't have been as successful because the Logic 8 came out around that time and it really just like streamlined the entire process and made doing exactly the thing that I happen to do (laughs) much, much, much easier um, and more effective.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, Queens of the Stone Age, great band in my opinion. Awesome live band. Um, I don't know if they're still going or what, but we'll, I guess we'll find out. Um, (laughs) Darren, we were going to do some community questions. Do you yep. have time to stick sure, around? Yeah, Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, listeners, you already know this, but you can tell a friend. Uh, we are supported by Patreon through the MinMax Network. You can go to patreon.com slash MinMax. That's M-I-N-N-M-A-X. Uh, contribute any amount, and you can send us questions and songs for our guests and hosts to listen to. Uh, we're going to start with one from Jeremiah Parks, who says, Hey, Darren, your music has been a huge influence on me ever since I sat down with Bastion years ago. Every time Supergiant releases a game, the OST gets purchased right along with <laughs> awesome. it. Awesome. Uh my question for you, and actually Jeremiah has too, um, you've made your reputation on blending disparate styles and genres in unique and interesting ways, like with Bastion's mix of folk and delta blues and electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of your style was deliberate and how much was dictated by the limitations of those early days in Supergiant, like, you know, renting a studio and, you know, yeah. recording a drummer and having you know, yep. session musicians and stuff? How much of that was necessary and how much was deliberate
2: yeah absolutely I, I you know it's it's interesting because when I started making music for Bastion I definitely set out as a creative goal to do something that I hadn't felt like I'd heard in games before you know I felt like at the time I'd heard hard rock kind of metal stuff I'd heard chip electronic stuff you know I've, I'd heard uh, orchestral stuff and I'd heard like a little bit of a blend of those things together like a hybrid orchestral electronic, whatever. But I hadn't really heard much else I felt like at that time in game. So I wanted to bring some styles of music that I found compelling that I liked outside of the context of games and try to combine them in that context. and And I also had a goal to try and combine multiple styles to help create a bit of a new feeling for the listener and the player to help place them somewhere new and specific. And so that was part of the goal for me. Um, and of course, part of it is the constraint of, I happen to have all these awesome trip hop drum loops or whatever. I happen to have access to these kinds of samples. I happen to be able to record an acoustic guitar. You know, it all sort of, it worked out that I was able to combine that stuff in a particular way at the time. And it also happened to line up with the thing we were going for with the game tonally and the setting of the game being this sort of frontier fantasy uh situation so so yeah I, i'd say the answer is basically a mix of both
0: well that works um <laughs> tell me then like i i guess i mean that's such a simple answer to so you know such a uh, complicated question yeah. but like continuing that like as a follow-up what um do you ever worry or have you ever come up against the um, issue of like that your creative intuition that the sound you want is like completely outstripping the tools you have. Has that ever happened?
2: Not usually. I'm I tend to try to make the most of the tools I have access to. Um if I Mm -hmm. know that I want to try a specific thing, I'll go and buy instruments and and buy, you know, auto harps and whatever Balamas and weird, you know, whatever instruments from all over the place. And just mess around with them. And and if I have a particular idea For a thing I want to try and evoke, I'll think about what kinds of instruments might be able to do that, what kinds of things I could theoretically play myself, um, and, and acquire and what kinds of things I can do with software and, and, and try to figure that out. But in general, I don't really write for stuff that I can't execute with a couple exceptions, you know, God of the dead. I knew I wanted to have some blazing soloists on there. I'm not really a virtuosic lead guitar player. And that's what I wanted. So I had to, I had to recruit outside assistants on, on that, that track, for example.
0: Okay. Um, does that, I guess to loop in another question from another listener, Tim Lauro wants to know, um, why do you like using instruments from other cultures? Is it because it allows you, like, access to those sounds that aren't in the, you know, what you're going to find at the local pawn
2: shop? I think part of it is it really helps with placing the listener somewhere specific. Um, in the case of Hades, you know, it's it's the Mediterranean vibe, and that is fairly easily accessed, I think, when you hear sort of instruments from that part of the world. They have a particular mm-hmm. vibe that you associate with that place. And and by juxtaposing those sort of folk instruments from different parts of the world with other styles that they're not normally combined with, I feel like it it allows me to have a hope at least of creating something that's, that's a new combination or an unfamiliar at least combination for, for people to hear that feels like some new thing that that is unique to the specifics and the specific setting of, of, the, of the game.
0: Well, considering the fact that about 60% of the critical appraisal of your work that I've ever read has been, has touched on that somehow. I think, (laughs) I think it's working. Awesome! I think think you've found that balance. Um, uh, Jeremiah also wanted to know, and this is a question for both of you, Matt and Darren, what is your favorite guitar tuning?
2: Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm a fan of the Dadgad tuning, uh, which I use all over Bastion. And I also drop it down to C. So it's C G C F G C. It's the same idea, but down down a whole step. Mm-hmm. And then, if you know, I'm a big fan of the standard tuning as well. I know that's a controversial answer, but <laughs> it's
1: pretty good. Wow, okay. Pretty good tuning. Uh,
0: we, we also have a PR rep on the line. Should we take that back? Wow. Is that too controversial yeah, to take okay. <laughs>
1: That, I mean, Dadgad, you got to give it up for Dadgad. Dadgad's awesome. Uh, my personal favorite, the Sun Tuning. Ooh, Open C. Ooh, um, as Whoa. popularized by uh, the guitarist John Fahey. I'm a big fan of. Uh, he did a lot of kind of arty, kind of odd finger picking yeah. uh, music in the '60s. Um, but he used a lot of Open C. Um, A lot of people in the uh, I guess American primitive style of guitar playing that kind of followed him use that, and it's. Uh, I don't know. It just has a certain character to it. Like when you're in open C, I can always tell it's open C. Mm. The only thing that's hard is it's like you, it's C, G, C, G, C, E. Yeah. So it's real tough sometimes to get that, the low E string uh. down to C without it being like really floppy. Oh, sure. Mm. So some people like set up a guitar just for that tuning I never have, but yeah. you might want to use like heavier gauge. than. Yeah. Uh, but it's cool. It's a cool tuning. It just like. You just play it and everything sounds kind of cool, just no matter where you put your fingers.
0: Awesome. Darren, did you use um, like special gauge strings or whatever for, uh, is it spike in a rail that has that really sick? I know, I didn't. Like Southern riff?
2: They're they're like, you know, medium heavy or medium acoustic strings. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's all, yeah, most of Bastion is tuned down to the CGC, FGC um, Mm -hmm. tuning, including that song. And uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, part of the, part of what, i think sounds cool about it is the slight floppiness of the strings um Mm. it makes it sound like slight like quote unquote crappier in in a in in an aesthetically pleasing way i think (laughs) um
0: it sounds like it's got such you know a bottom end though it's it's really impactful sound yeah
2: yeah i'm using uh for all all the bastion stuff i'm using like a 200 dollar mitchell guitar that i got when i was you know 12 or something that's like the Hmm. that's the that's the guitar yeah (laughs) mitchell <laughs> yeah holy smokes yeah. buddy yep the the poor man's ibanez yeah well it's you know, the other guitar center brand it's like yeah <laughs> yeah in-house <laughs> guitar center brand
1: it's no johnson guitar or no. uh, i'm sure i think it's some of those other ones well it's like first Act harmony or first whatever act, yeah first Act. First yeah it's act. not a first yeah. act yeah it sounds better than a first act
0: <laughs> yeah it sure does yeah. it sure does yeah. um okay let's see uh from josh Lebo. Um, He wants to know, Darren, what kinds of things change between an in-game soundtrack and the official soundtrack release, Um, suggesting maybe like uh, the ways things are interacted with or, you know, specific environmental cues that get removed. How much does that change and what place do you have in that?
2: For sure. Yeah, it changes um, varying amounts depending on how the music's implemented in the game. Uh, You know, for Bastion, music was very simply implemented just for, you know, for a variety of reasons, many of them technical, but... The track on the in the game was very close. I mean, pretty much what you hear on the soundtrack because it's just a stereo mix in the game. You know, I have it mastered Mm -hmm. for the soundtrack, but but uh, that's about it. So for the other games, we did were a little bit more adventurous with multi-channel cues and dynamic stem stuff happening. So certain tracks would turn on and off, the drums turning on and off, and transistor, for example, and the vocals coming in and out. Um, and then all, you know, Pyre and, and Hades have a ton of, of reactivity in the music as well. So a lot of that is, you know, I, I'm sort of deciding on what the Canon mix is, I guess for the soundtrack I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going through and, and making a proper like blue sky version of the tune, which is like the, you know, my ideal way for people to hear it out of the context of the game. Um, but that being said, I get, I've been getting a fair amount of requests for like just the solo bass stuff from Hades. Like when you kill all the dudes in a room and, and all the tr- <laughs> instruments turn off, and it's just a grooving bass. So, so, you know, maybe someday, but, but, uh, but yeah, in general, I, I try and, and make, you know, what I feel like is the most sort of, uh, satisfying stereo version of, of the multi-channel stuff. Uh, and, and for Pyre, actually, that was quite a bit of work. Cause we had, I think we had like eight stems sometimes that would be dynamically selected in the game so i had to whittle that down at the end of the project to to two
0: uh free plug for former guest austin wintry and collaborator with darren um there is a great video on his youtube channel about the work that he did in i think it's the pathless the ps5 game uh that's just stunningly complex in how it pulls together all those things and i i would not want to be him trying to decide what is like the canon version of that soundtrack yeah um, Doreen Claire says, Hey Darren, I'm a huge fan of your work in both Bastion and Hades. And I was wondering, what were you listening to while Hades was made? Did anything uh, in particular inspire those tracks? Uh, and I guess same question for Bastion and generally in your work.
2: Yeah, gosh. I mean, uh, on Hades, I was listening to a bunch of different stuff, um, specifically for things I was trying to mine. I, I listened to some Soundgarden. I listened to, uh, I actually listened to, um, to a decent amount of Alice in Chains, um, I listened to Megadeth. I listened to Rush. I listened to, uh, I listened to Opeth. Um, I listened to the Diablo 2 soundtrack. <laughs> I listened to my goodness. I, you know, a, a bunch of stuff. Um, getting heavy. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, uh, quite a, quite a variety of, of stuff there for that. I did, I did research into sort of more traditional ancient Greek music and, and sort of deemed it not really what I wanted to, to do. It's like, I, you know, I, I tried to go back to actual, like real ancient period music and it, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's just music changed so much since then that it doesn't really read properly for what I wanted it to, to do. Um, right. so I, I ended up sort of saying no, thank you to, to many aspects of that, but I'm glad I, I did the research to know, know what that was. Um, mm-hmm. And then for, for Bastion, you know, a lot of the stuff that I incorporated into that game was stuff that I was just, I just had on my brain already, you know, it was like the acoustic, it was like, like Zeppelin three was a big influence on Bastion for me. Um, like, you know, Robert Johnson stuff, like old blues stuff, um, acoustic blues stuff in particular, um, Jeff Buckley, um, people, people like, um, uh, not a surf, let go that album, um was when I was listening to a lot at the time that I made Bastion. Um yeah. I think that's there's I know there's plenty more that I'm forgetting, but <laughs> Right.
0: No, but like the fact that you can remember what's what I biosmosis probably found its way into your work. Yeah. Um I was gonna say I think I think you're pretty safe going back generally to like Zorba the Greek <laughs> for modern understandings of Greek music. Yeah. That's that's a you know shoe and you don't need to hear the ancient stuff. The actual anywhere. ancient
2: stuff. Yeah. They only have like five notes, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for six hours.
0: Yeah. Um, White Max says, hey there, Faderinos, which is an interesting new nickname for us, but I'll take <laughs> it. Uh, something I've noticed when uh, my peers or uh, even like on this show will say, this band is from Houston mm-hmm. or they're from Minneapolis. Yep. So that sort of explains something. Um, do you guys want to go over like what the significance of that is in Ooh. your mind? Like of the yeah. place a band's from to the sound that you're hearing? For sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it, you can start if you want. Yeah, I'm happy to. Well, I mean, I I think that I was going to say, I think that it probably... Matters the least now mm-hmm. because I th- I definitely when I hear music, um, just from younger people, I think that you know so much of their experience has sort of been the internet, and they yep. just have such a ability and and I don't know, just super wide. Rep- like if I ever see somebody in like you know their young twenties and like a or a playlist or something, it's just very like all over the place compared to where I was at. I was yep. very into like one certain kind of thing. So I think, you know, even hip hop, which is probably the last bastion of like super regionality is sort of like flattened out a bit Mm -hmm. uh, as well. You know, um, some of those north, south or east coast, west coast things don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. However, in, you know, in the past, I think it was very significant. Darren, you can maybe speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, speaking of Dave Grohl
2: (laughs) earlier, you know, he's got this documentary called Sonic Highways documentary series where they go to different cities dig into that city's musical history a little bit and the local music scene there, and then, you know, write a song and record it in that city. It's very interesting And for me. <laughs> if you're, if you're like-minded, you may find it interesting, but, uh but uh, I, I really think, yeah, especially it, it at, er, at an earlier time before you had access to all music everywhere all the time, uh locality was important. And, and you can tell, I feel like sometimes you can hear the, a place you can hear the vibe of a place in a band sound. Uh, you know, like when, when I hear, you know, Blondie or whatever, I hear a New York band, you know, when I hear, yeah. when I hear the Pixies, you know, that Western, that Massachusetts vibe, you know, I'm hearing that, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and, and I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it's just that I associate a certain thing with a yeah. certain place, but, but I feel like there are little music scenes that happen. And some of these bands come out of that, music scene that where people are trying to do, they're like working on this type of idea, you know? And, and, you know, that there's, there's a sound sometimes to a a particular location. I mean, just look at grunge in Seattle. Like you could tell who was a Seattle band at that time, you know, like you could hear it. It's like, that's, it's got a sound, um, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's the depressing weather or whatever it was at the time. But like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, the, the music scene was a particular thing. And, and I think, Yeah. I I think, as you said, these days it matters probably a lot less, but, but at a certain time that was a, that was a big thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it was also could be, you know, certain studios or producers, obviously Mm -hmm. like Detroit had Motown, um, Minneapolis, you know, Prince and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis literally had the Minneapolis sound Mm -hmm. of like R and B in the eighties. And that was basically based out of Prince's studio and flight time. Um, or, you know, in the nine, you know, 90s you know dr dre and like west coast hip-hop that kind of thick like funk thing yeah so i mean i kind of I, I do sort of miss that i think yeah but i mean i think by nature like kids are just kind of connecting with other people and it's probably collaborating over the internet too with people out of their own uh, geographic location more than we did
2: yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah I, I think i've sort of like relegated it in my mind to you know if i can say that mother father sister brother and Holland Oates and billy paul were all from philadelphia yeah okay can I identify a Philadelphia sound from that? Uh, you know, and oh. then, like look
1: for individual pieces, yeah. but there you know? was, I mean, there was the Philly soul sound of yeah. like gamble and huff no. and like the OJs and you yeah. know, exactly. That and was that's like, what I
0: mean. Like what pieces of that are, are contiguous to all of them. And yeah. you know, what are one-off pieces that are like, Oh, they in, in, invented on this thing or they iterated yeah. on it. So um, I guess just in, you know, refining your own tastes and figuring out what uh, you know, what the origin of a sound is not necessarily as important as like being able to, um, you know, I guess, figure out what you like about it and what is really like, would you be able to find more music that sounds like that from that region? Maybe, but go by sound rather than by region.
2: But like, Um, real quick, I mean, even the two bands we talked about today, you know, Queens of the Stone Age, Hami is from the desert, and that's like part of their sound. Like, Mm. that is like a major vibe of all their music. It's like desert music for whatever reason. And then, and the Beatles, you know, they're from Liverpool and like, there's like, I think I, I I don't know that it's part of their sound as much as it's like part of their personalities, which informed what they were able to do with the mm. music. Liverpool is like a like a rough town at the time or whatever. It's like there's yeah. like, you know, it was a port town with like dock workers and stuff, you know, and uh, well said. Yeah. So anyway, I just think um, the, the 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 town that you're from and the place you are from finds it can find its way into the music, regardless of whether or not there's a
1: music scene. Yeah. yeah. I want to quick shout out a documentary that's a little hard to find, but it's, it's called Low Sound Desert and it's actually about that desert scene that Caius and later Queens came out of. And it's, it's pretty crazy. Like they were, you know, kind of out past like Joshua tree and just, there's just these, you know, they get generators, gas generators and like just go to the desert and like, it's just pickup truck lights for the lights and like a hundred kids in the middle of nowhere doing acid and it's really nuts. It's a nuts documentary. That's crazy.
0: All right, uh, Ben Hansen, our own Ben Hanson of Min Max, that's Min Max with two N's, wants to know, what is the first song you remember declaring as your favorite song? Darren?
2: I think it was probably Imagine by John Lennon when I was a little kid. I love that song. Mm. Yep. That was probably... Um,
1: probably. Uh, nice. I remember, like, really... Uh, I've I mentioned them before, but Creedence Clearwater Revival, my dad was a big fan, and... The one song, oddly, the song that I really gravitated to when I was really little, and they—I remember—they would like, they would like give me extra like chopsticks from like a Chinese restaurant, and I would kind of play drums on a chair. But it was actually their cover of "Heard It Through the Grapevine." Oh yeah, by Marvin Gaye, which is a, it's a good cover. Um, but a, of course, for years I didn't even know yeah. about the Marvin Gaye song. But that's the first song I remember like asking my parents to play, kind of awesome, nice
0: uh we don't have time for a whole lot more questions but i'll get to one from professor bob buell i guess bob got his doctorate nice uh big fan darren and a uh, excuse me hearty howdy to the crossfade twins themselves jason and matt i have a twin matt and it's not you i do apologize um (laughs) but is is dead ringers for each other (laughs) (laughs) you know just add a couple uh years is the beatles best of album uh the one collection is that the best best of album of all time pound for pound it just seems so strong if not Are there any best of albums that you had come to mind as being in that elite category of greatness? Oh, that's Um, a tough one. Yeah. I see Bob's rationale being that like, oh, the Beatles is one of the most commercially successful and widely lauded groups uh, of the last hundred years. Yeah. And this is a collection of what are known as their most commercially successful songs. Does that, by
2: definition, make it the best of the best? I mean, it's an interesting question because if it's like, what is the best best of album? Like, Mm. I mean, I guess that's an interesting, that's fascinating but for me, like I don't really like best of albums personally. Like I like that. Al- really? I, yeah, and sometimes I do. Like I really like the band. Actually, I think they have a really great one. Like the it's like <laughs> a um double disc vinyl or whatever that has. It's just mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a bunch of right. slamming tracks from the band. You know, real real good because their albums are good, but they're often kind of short, and they're often like so. You know, they go a lot of places, so some of the songs are awesome, and some of them are nice, but not not as. As much the the one I want to hear at that moment, but the I feel like yeah they have a great one. & Oates actually has a really good one. Yeah, um, yeah they do. Uh, yeah, and the Beatles one, it's like the I just feel like the Beatles like all of their stuff is so good that's like the yeah. why do you need the number one? I don't know.
1: I, I'm I may even go so far that the Beatles number one is not the best best of. It's not even the best Beatles best of yeah. of all time. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think that their number one hits to me represent. Yeah, their greatest songs, and totally. there's like the complete Beatles is a great comp. Yeah, um, I really like. There's some the, other there's past some Masters, other comps over the years. Past Masters yeah, past volume, volume One or Two is great. Yeah, um, so I, I don't just arbitrarily like saying like number one hits. I mean, it was a good gimmick, and I mean, certainly you throw a bunch of Beatles hits on an album, it's going to be yeah. of a certain amount of quality. But yeah. I don't think it's as good as Past Masters. Yeah, totally. Um, I kind of I, I get what you're saying about greatest hits. I do feel though when you're talking about maybe. Music, say, hmm pre 1965, mm. 66, mm-hmm. a lot of just like old rock and roll, blues, um, jazz. I mean, there was jazz albums for sure, but you know, a lot of like, when you go back to like Charlie Parker, they just cut like sides or whatever. They, yeah. You know, they were just yeah. like, so by nature, I think comps of those artists kind of make sense because they really just thought in terms of singles. Yeah. Um, for me, the best that I, I've always kind of come back to is, um, Sly and the Family Stone's greatest hits, um, of all those big hit singles of the sixties is like just, that's a really good listen front yeah, to back. That's awesome. It's just absolutely mm. like hit, you know, just party after, you know what I mean? It's just, um, and you know, I, I feel that way about R and B sometimes is served, yeah. you know, because sometimes I don't think they were always coming to it. Or, you know, honestly, the Beatles even like the early Beatles albums. They got some filler on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would pad out with like, yeah. you know, Kansas City or, you know, just yeah, like rock yeah. and roll covers. So, um, but I sort of agree with you once you move past kind of the Beatles and some of those bands that established Dylan or that established the album as sort of a Yeah. a, a format. A
2: format. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I guess I want to revise my statement a little bit, which which is if I'm a really big fan of a band, I don't usually want the greatest hits album, if that makes sense. Like I want to listen mm-hmm. to their albums, but if I'm a sort of medium fan of a band or something, like I have like a, and I like them, but I'm not, I don't know all their albums back to front. And then sometimes I do like the greatest hits. For example, Hall & I enjoy them. I like their hit songs, you know, like I, I, uh, Jackson 5 has a good greatest hits album or whatever, you know? Um, but I'm not like listening to Jackson 5 albums on a regular yeah. basis, you know?
0: You're, you're sort of not listening to these to really understand the artist. Yeah, exactly. You're listening to them to have a good time Yeah, exactly, in, yeah. in ways. I I get that. I can get that. Yep. Um, I'm going to call this our final question and it is appropriately themed. Uh, Jason Wojnar wants to know, or rather says that Abbey road has an all time album closer, of course, in the end. And then the, you know, slight hidden yeah. track, uh, her majesty, but the end considered as the album closer, um, you know, it's hard to argue with that. What is your favorite closing track? Uh, does not have to be from the Beatles.
2: God, that's such a tough, that's such a tough one. I really like, uh, I really like, uh, The Tourist from OK Computer a lot. Mm. Um, which is, uh, is really just a haunting way to close out that incredible, beautiful album. Um, I love, I love that one a lot. I'm gonna, gosh, I'll go with that one, but I'll, I'll be thinking if you want to answer and.
0: Yeah, just come back to Crossfade anytime. We'll dub, <laughs> dub in another answer yeah, if you yeah, don't feel yeah, like this exactly. holds.
2: But I think that one, will, I'll, I'm happy with that one for now. Oh, you know what? Nice. You know what? I want to have a, another one, which is Only in Dreams uh, from the first Weezer album. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. That is a great, it's like a 10-minute, you know, awesome yeah. last track. Yeah, I, I that. Yeah, I listened to that album a million times, and that, that that track is
1: wonderful. Let's say that one. I feel good about that. Nice i'm, I'm one that comes to mind is a little bit cheating this is really the last side but echoes by pink floyd
3: mm-hmm.
1: off metal i'm a big fan of that and that's just kind of their epic like psychedelic kind of journey type song awesome but i'm kind of yeah it's, i was trying to blank on that i don't know
0: no it's uh it's tough to think about unless one really like bam hits you yeah um, you gotta
1: go and like look
2: look through the you know look at the ends yeah. of all the albums yeah
0: check the track list yeah. uh Well, thank you, Dan, for sticking around for uh, final community questions. We also pick a community song that one of our uh, community members suggested. And this time we've gone with uh, Jeremiah Parks, his suggestion for Bruce Springsteen's Magic. Um, Again, I'm not really well, excuse me, way too well versed in Springsteen himself. But um, did either of you get a chance to listen to this before recording?
2: Yeah, I I checked it out. I'm not a Springsteen aficionado either. But yeah, it seemed cool. I mean, he's a, 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 you know, it's hard to dispute that he's a, really good songwriter and you know has has yeah. this thing going on and, and all that stuff and yeah he's not like my my dude but but i i appreciate him for sure
1: yeah i'm mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of you know like the kind of classic run um i don't know his later period stuff as well yeah. i mean but so i wasn't familiar with this album but i, I liked the song and uh I, I wanted to check out the album because i sort of after a certain point sometimes i sort of tune out on people um and i think i kind of did that so i i enjoyed it i think i'm gonna check out the album it's on
0: nice uh, well, that is how we're going to outro. Uh, Matt, you can take us away.
1: Darren, thanks so much for being on the show. It was really, it was a great conversation. Really uh, appreciate your insight on the Beatles. So, thanks for your time. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, obviously, we thank you for listening and supporting on patreoncom slash Um And you know, everyone that submitted questions and and, and you know, we really appreciate all the uh, participation. We will be back in two weeks. Darren, take care and thanks so much.
0: Thank you.
3: This is what we'll be. This is what we'll be. I got shackles on the wrist, so my slipping and begun. Chain me in a box in the river. I in this song. Trust none of what you know. Less of what you see. This is what will be. This is what will be.